You're listening to Dear Joseph, the podcast where we answer all your financial questions. Disclaimer, I am not a financial consultant and anything I say should not be considered as financial advice, but purely for entertainment purposes. This week's question comes from Tom C. Dear Joseph, how do stock prices move? That's actually a very interesting question. What I find about people who are constantly talking about the market, even people who are, are finance majors, even people who uh, are even in the industry do not even understand how stocks prices move. And in, and in conjunction with that question of how do stock prices move is why they move and why they retain or reflect a certain price. So let's start with the part that everybody knows, the IPO. The way a stock is initially priced is is a company will reach out to lawyers, will reach out to uh, financial banks, investment brokers, and they will try to create an initial public offering. They will try to figure out what price is appropriate. They will then lock in a certain amount of investors to buy the shares based off of the price that they determine. For example, a company can say, we are pricing a million shares at $25 a share. You'll then try to find a certain amount of people who will buy large blocks of the shares, maybe you know tens of thousands of shares. They will have insiders who already have shares or initial investors who have had shares from previous purchases, from non-public offerings. And then they will try to go to the banks to get them to sell and create contracts with other people to buy at that initial value. Once all the people who bought those initial shares, once the shares go public, so nothing else is set. Once the price is public, how does it change how does it go up? How does it go down? And what are what makes any stock in individually, not as a whole, move? So the first thing they teach you in finance is the things many people are familiar with, which is they would do something called earnings per share. They will estimate that if there are 100 shares and each share earns a dollar, then it would be $1 per share. And they will try to project for a certain amount of years in the future, how much that share is going to be worth, and then that'll create the value of the company. So you're pretty much just valuing the company based off of purely earnings-based and projections-based. A second way of valuing a stock is comparing ratios to its peers. For example, earnings, assets, debt, you can make tons of different ratios with that, uh, so on and so forth. There are other types of assets that are also particularly valuable. Like if there's something that is some sort of monopoly, um, like for example, a natural monopoly, like uh, like railroads. Like for railroad stocks, they have a monopoly that you can't build another railroad. There may be other alternatives, but the no alternative is going to be comparable for that specific asset, meaning you could have buses and trucks, but no other asset can bring as much of something or deliver something as far and as fast as, for example, the railways. So railways have a unique, at least for now, a unique head in this in, in certain types of industries. There are other types of monopolies, for example, like a patent um, where or a copyright where someone has a unique item or thing that cannot be copied legally by someone else. Could be also a formula. Could be also trade secrets. For example, Coca-Cola's recipe is famously not patent. Instead, 
it's a secret and they do and no one's yet really figured it out and no one's been able to mass produce the same item so there are different people will try to value the different assets the different the projections that the debt the, the everything on the books of a company to try to create a fair price for the company in the same way where if I were to buy another business, I would, you know, take a look at their balance sheets. I take a look at all their earnings and everything, and say, well, what would that be worth to me? And then I would divide it by shares, and that's how it works. Other people will find even more complicated ways to value stocks, like look at historic averages, or you know, create some type of formula to proje- project what a stock price is. But the truth is, they're never right. Nobody ever gets the stock price right. Nobody. There's, there's no one person who gets it right. Maybe some people get close, but nobody gets it right. And there are several reasons for that. So then back to the original question, what makes the stock price move? The stock market is really just a pure, at, at this point in history, is really just a pure open market. What that means is there is there are people who are trying to buy things and people are trying to sell things. Whenever there are more active buyers than sellers, it drives that drives the price up because as the price goes up, eventually more sellers will feel more comfortable selling will come onto the market. Eventually, there will be more sellers than buyers, and then the price will drop because there's because people are gonna because the sellers will be competing and say, okay, I can go a little less and sell, I can go a little less, and that's more or less how the market works. Basically, there are millions and millions of investors and. Uh, throughout the world trying to buy shares and some in big portions, some in small portions. And everybody's trying to grab on and try to raise the price and everyone's trying to buy for the lowest price. And depending on the volume, on how many people are buying or selling, that's really dependent on how it goes down. Now, it's true for every stock bought or sold on the same day, the inverse is true. I mean, you'll see in the newspapers that it was a big sell-off, but as many stocks were sold, or as many were bought. So sold means it was a higher volatility, higher uh, sales in the stock market than usual. That doesn't really always mean that uh, you know it's a seller's market. It could mean for some reason people got excited for other reasons. Other times in history where people were buying for good reasons, as meaning uh, a higher projection in sales or whatever. So I'd like to discuss the different reasons why a stock would move in price. Meaning once the IPO, once the agreed upon stock price reaches the market, why does the second after that it goes up or down? So first, as mentioned, there's supply and demand. The question is how many is to create the share price, you have to say, well, how many shares are it? Are there are there a lot? Even if there are a lot, are there certain people holding certain amounts and won't sell it, creating less on the less shares active in the market? For example, you'll see uh, Warren Buffett owns a third of Berkshire Hathaway, and everybody knows he doesn't plan on selling it more than, let's say, like one percent at like any given time. So, meaning there's a, only seventy percent of the company is really active. And then you'll say, well, there are other types of stocks, for example, or, or uh, that are in the Dow Jones, and there's a, a big group of investors who will definitely keep money in the Dow Jones no matter what, creating a large block of shareholders that won't that won't budge from the stocks, whether it's a down market, a, a bull market, a bear market. The price of the shares really depends on how much is out there. And then once you have how many shares that individual stock group of stock is out there, how does it compare to other individuals or other groups? Meaning 
is Coca-Cola and Pepsi the same thing? What about Dr. Pepper's Snapple? Or could you maybe say, well, Pepsi has, you know, snacks and Coke only deals with purely drink. But what if I invested in in Coca-Cola and, I don't know, Nestle? Would that, would, would that be the same thing as investing in Pepsi? Another question which we touch up on a lot is, uh, and I mentioned in some of the previous podcasts, is do people have money right now? For example, if there's a recession, less people have money to invest, which means the stocks are going to drop because because not as many people are around to buy. Another another point is alternatives. Are there bonds that are safer that have a similar return? Are there other stocks, as mentioned before, that create a, create similar returns? What about REITs? What about private equity? What about savings? Is the risk of the market really crazy at a certain point? Some people are taking money out. For example, initially during the coronavirus, not only were the stock market drop, but people were afraid to invest in the beginning because people didn't know if they would have money to be able to eat. So those are different things that are going through people's minds when they're investing. So the picture we're painting is that there's a market. People have different agendas. People have different comfortabilities with how much they would be willing to spend on a stock, on, on a share. And based off that, people will be either willing to buy or sell or do neither. And all three of those things can affect the market. So now once you have a group of people who come together and form some type of market, the question is, what are the people's agenda? And based off that agenda, will affect will people be buying or people are selling the same way in like a trade market or before prices for certain things became stable or, or like you'll see in many other countries where you can haggle at stores and many other countries, meaning not America, besides America. And to really figure out where a stock price is going, you need to know what the agendas of people are going to be. I tried to make a list of just different things that I think will affect an individual. There'll obviously be more, but these are some things to think about. One example is there's experts who are going to say, you know, the companies I project is going to make this amount of money. And if it makes this amount of money, I think it's worth this. And if it has these type of assets, it's worth this amount. You know, a patent, a patent doesn't have a dollar amount as, for example, a building might. So, I mean, you can look at the real estate of, let's say, uh, you know, Apple Apple has that very like $5 billion uh, business hub, which they call, I think, Apple One. It's $5 billion property and it's very advanced so you might say, well, it's worth this amount. And then you'll say, well, honestly, who's really going to buy it? So maybe it's worth a little less because you have to find the right buyer. So putting together all of Apple's offices, you'll say it has this amount in assets. And then you'll compare that to its earnings. And then you'll say, well, it also has a little debt. Then you say, well, it has a lot of cash, et cetera, et cetera. And then you'd come to a stock price based on how much you want to weigh debt, how much you want to weigh assets, and so on and so forth. And there will also be project. Proje- projections, which means, you know, could there be an increase in assets and a decrease in the overall company? For example, I think Sears at one point, the stock price was going up because it had such valuable assets, even though the company was losing money. Uh, Interesting fact, I think that's why uh, there was a financial collapse in Venezuela. I mean, even though for years the economy was growing, that was because the prices of its goods that it sold, for example, oil, or steel was going up. But once oil collapsed, and once they were having problems with steel, they actually went into a giant recession for that same reason, that that prices alone does not does not uh, 
to necessarily make or break the company. It depends on the on, on the whole. Another another thing that could be affecting the market is, for example, is a stock getting listed or delisted on the Dow Jones? There are a certain group of people who are only going to invest in certain assets or are definitely going to invest in certain assets. That is going to affect and keep the price somewhat stable and say, maybe not, that's not completely true, but but meaning that it will create a certain amount of investors who are specifically going after a certain stock. So a stock gets listed on the Dow Jones, immediately there's going to be a lot more buyers and you're going to have you're going to gain a lot of steady buyers. If you get delisted, you're going to lose a lot of steady, steady buyers. And there may be other ETFs or mutual funds or index funds that have similar effects where, uh, for example, dividends, where people are looking for certain type of dividend stocks, certain type of blue chip stocks. You, know, you, can, you can name the titles, dividend aristocrat stocks, so on and so forth. It's just a group of buyers who are coming with a certain amount, with a certain uh, predisposed idea of what they're going to be buying and how much they're going to be buying. Then there's what I call the irrationally rational investors. Uh, buyers, where they say, oh, you know, I think Snapchat is cool. Let's get Snapchat. You know, let's Facebook. And, and that's going on a, a lot or presumed to be going a lot in uh, Robinhood and other free trading platforms where people are just investing because they think this is going to be a good company, not knowing anything that's going on. And finally, there's what I would call the irrationally rational investors. There are a group of there are large groups of investors who invest for s- seemingly rational ideas, which might not make sense in reality. For example, certain investors won't buy partial shares. So you have a company like Berkshire Hathaway. And which, whose A-class shares are around 300,000, maybe more, maybe less. I didn't take a look, look, but people could be buying lots of and trading lots of like one thousandth of a you know shares, $300, $30, whatever. But people are not. People the the smaller shares, which are worth somewhere around like I think a little over 200, between 200 and 300 bucks, those are the ones that people are trading. Recently, Apple and Tesla, they both split to gain more traders, but it doesn't make sense. Why does it matter if you have a share or not? The increase should be the same. If the stock price doubles, it doesn't matter if you had half a share or one share. If you put in $10 or $20, they're both going to double. So you will have a group of shareholders who are irrationally rational, who will invest for certain purposes for specific reasons. And you don't know necessarily that they're ever going to be educated and change to the more rational approach where they can be doing the same thing or be getting the things that they want for rational reasons, meaning they'll be co- learn to be comfortable with getting a half share just so that instead of waiting for the stock to split. I think something important comes out of all this, where we see that just because people value a, a certain stock a certain way doesn't mean it's going to actually move that way. There are too many other factors, too many other buyers in the market who have either value things differently or have different agendas to really validate any stock price going forward. So when people think that things are going to outperform, it's usually not because they think that right now it's undervalued. I mean, some people do, but I think this kind of disproves the idea of undervalued, where it doesn't matter what you think. There are so many people with different ideas. It's almost it's it's pro- impossible to really say, okay, they're this you know they're going to be ten percent irrational and they're going to go that way. And there's going to be ten percent who are dividend, so they're going to buy that many stock. And there's going to be thirty percent 
who, you know, because it's on the Dow Jones, who are going to be buying it. And, and, and you'll create a list and you'll say, now I know that there are going to be this many people regularly buying it and this amount of people who have this agenda regularly selling it. And to create some type of model that's going to predict that, it's impossible. Remember, this is all on top of other market factors. Like any business can easily be shaken up uh, because of technology or because of uh, laws and regulations, international trade, etc. There's so many things that affect a stock on top of the fact that people aren't valuing it the same. And it's impossible to understand why people are valuing it. So to just look at a stock and say, this is what it should be worth. That's what it's worth to you. If you were buying that, you know, that business private equity, you would say maybe, you know what, that is a great price. But for the rest of the world, everybody's coming in with different agendas. And that's why we have, there's a concept called random walk, where stock prices are changing seemingly at random because nobody, because no, there are so many people out there and nobody knows what their plans are. And you can't really expect a stock to go anywhere unless you know people's plans. The smart investor, as proposed by uh, maybe Benjamin Graham and the Warren Buffett type crowd, and maybe a lot of the uh, other people, like, for example, the authors of the efficient market hypothesis and the random walk theory. Well, I'll just put in parentheses. While you'll see Warren Buffett rejected, or at times have rejected parts of the efficient market hypothesis um, and, and maybe even random walk, Warren Buffett is still usually operating over similar principles that the people who, who subscribe to those theories are, in that he believes that investing in good companies over time uh, is the only way to create value and that instead of guessing and you know trying to predict markets or whatever you just find a company good to invest it the people with the theories aforementioned are usually say well you should do groups of companies instead of picking an individual because you're not going to know how people are going to value it are people in a few years going to change how they value stock are there going to be a new set of uh, investors who are going to have completely different values, or then going to totally, you know, change how we uh, h- how stock prices are valued, or are companies going to have certain things like less physical assets, maybe less buildings? So it's going to meet the meaning. There are lots of different valuation things that are going to affect com- how we value stocks, or groups of stocks, or new stocks um, in the future, or even old stocks that change in the future that it's not worth investing in individual stock. But both of them are under the same assumption that the it's not possible to predict the stocks. It makes sense to invest in long-term assets and to move around the market and to make predictions. Predictions aren't going to make sense. Find a big set of groups of companies that are safe, preferably very large amount of companies, like hundreds, Keep it in them, and over time, the hopefully those companies will continue performing well, and you'll do well. And you won't have to rely on things like which buyers or sellers are going to be coming to the market. Just look, try to grab large groups of successful companies to rid that risks of how are people going to value things. Even if this company does well, are they going to continue valuing it at the certain premium or discount? Will they decide that they want to value the same company for more, even if it does the same thing later for whatever various reasons, uh, for no reasons, for reasons revolving other industries and safety and risk, or could it be, etc. And that's really all you need to know on 
how the stock price is moving, move, and what creates the the actual stock price itself. Thank you for listening. Make sure to like and subscribe, and make sure to follow us on Twitter.